Hello and welcome to the Robert A. Heinlein Book Club. In each episode of this podcast, I read one of the works of Robert A. Heinlein, working my way through his entire catalog. Um, and in this episode, I will be focusing on, I guess, the first half of Beyond This Horizon. Um, you know, with some of these works, I'm going to break them up. I think the most I'll ever do is three episodes on a particular work, um, not to cut them too fine i suppose but every story and every novel will at least get one episode um and yeah this one will just we'll just start talking about beyond the horizon in the realm of ideas because wow this is such an ideas packed novel um it was originally published in april of 1942 april may of 1942 in astounding magazine um under the name anson mcdonald it was then published i after the war um, I want to say like 48 or sometime around there under Heinlein's name with very, very slight revisions. Um, now, I have to say about this. In 1942, um, Astounding Magazine switched to like the, the like I guess, broadsheet they call it format. I don't know if this was a business decision or if it was a paper rationing thing, but there's probably about... Twice as much text per page as there was in the 1941 issues. It's it's like reading a Bible, or or it's worse than reading like a Library of America issue. Maybe they were just bigger. Maybe it wasn't a paper rationing thing. Maybe it was just a business decision. I don't know. When I first saw it, I'm like, wow, are they just trying to save paper here? Um, but I mean, it's it's 80 pages long. Um, so if you could read my mainline podcast, I do the Library of America, 100 pages at a time, and it's about three hours of audiobook to read about 100 pages of that uh text this is eight hours to read 80 pages uh it is very very uh it's like reading a bible here um now i don't think it stayed this way for very long but wow it's it's a big change really noticeable uh, from from the 1941 issues but anyways uh this book um, deals with, uh, of course, gun culture. It deals with genetics. It deals with like movement cultures and resistance and that kind of stuff. It deals with marriage. It explores uh, the meaning of life. Um, that that's kind of the heart of it. Um, it it deals with economics. It's actually our fullest description of Heinlein's economic vision of of kind of a post scarcity kind of basic income socialism that we get since the what was that uh, since was our first episode where we looked at um, for us to live in of course that wasn't published in his lifetime so if you're reading Heinlein stories it's not until this Anson McDonald story 1942 that he kind of lays out that work that he did in for us to living um, so where to start? Let's start with the economics, because the book sort of starts with the economics. Our main character, Hamilton Felix, if I say Felix Hamilton, sorry, it's like he's got kind of two last names almost, or two first names, both. Both of these could be last names, both of them could be first names. Um, 
So Hamilton Felix walks in to meet his friend who is uh, uh, Monroe Alpha Clifford. Um, I think that name, Monroe Alpha, comes from kind of like the genetic batch he's part of or something because everyone's sort of genetically engineered. Uh, well, maybe genetically engineered is the wrong way. It's, it's, it's very much like Gattaca. If you've seen Gattaca where the idea is like you still have no, just couples meet up. Not everyone is like planned necessarily, but when a couple wants a kid, they'll just put all their gametes into the computer and pick the best ones. Um, and the state essentially raises the kids kind of immune from parental direct parental influence. Um, so it's kind of that kind of standard utopian stuff. Um, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's a deeper look at the, at, at what we've seen before in like Methuselah's children of like this long-term planning of genetics. Um, or if you've read Dune, the Benny Jesuits have their plan. Um, for kind of creating this, like a, essentially a Superman. This is, you know, our main character here, Hamilton Felix, is in this so-called star line, the most advanced people. He's missing a few pieces. No one can have everything because it is still there's a randomness to genetics. But he is like the next, the step before the, 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 the real Superman. Uh, I'll get to that a little bit later on, I suppose. I want to start with the economics because um, Monroe Alpha works for the Department of Finance. And so if you're just joining this podcast and you weren't here for, for us to living, it's essentially the same idea is there. And that is we have a post-scarcity e economy in which the problem is not production anymore. That's taken care of. In fact, there's too much production, if anything. There's not enough work to go around. So the, the real economic problem of the day, which I would... I would suggest is the brain economic problem of our day in many sectors at least if not potentially in all crucial sectors is uh how do you match demand for the productive capacity of the country because depressions are caused and he's of course coming out of the great depression in which you had obviously the potential to produce more world war ii proved that but you didn't have the demand for it because of low wages and, and a lack of government spending and all that stuff so um, the solution then is basically just to provide money, provide free credit to people uh, in various ways in order to match. So the government planning here, it's not, gov it's not a planned economy in that production is planned because we're beyond that. Production capacity is fully capable of handling itself. It's, it's really manned, demand management. So you need to keep the potential demand up to the potential productive capacity at any time. So, you know, if you have, just imagine like you have robots making everything and they can make all our needs match. And like the problem really becomes like, how do you, um, how do you, where do people get the money to buy those goods? Right. And, and I guess UBI or our gift economy or just socialism, people can just take what they need. Those are solutions. Heinlein likes this solution of a mixed economy where people still go to work and still have jobs because that's meaningful to them. They still get an income, but work's not really necessary anymore. So the government's not actively encouraging full employment because to do that would, um, would basically lead to more production than, and which would mean it would just kind of worsen the problem. So they want to keep employment modest to keep production going 
haywire. They actually want to stop innovations that can increase productivity significantly because that's just going to deepen this imbalance. The government's main job then is to provide credit, stipends, stimulus, basically subsidies to people. Um, so demand will always match um, productive needs. Uh, it's, it's kind of like a New Deal logic taken to the extreme. Um, except there, there was still like, let's put people to work. Um, Heinlein's one step ahead of them saying, well, we don't actually have to put people to work. The dole is good enough. You know, we don't actually need to make more stuff. But I guess in the New Deal, there were things to do. There was a civilian conservation corps and eventually there was World War II. So people had to, you know, there was still space. But he's looking ahead. If he's like Keynes, if productive capacity keeps growing at the rate we are and demand doesn't increase, you're going to have constant demand crises so he said so the solution is give money out so partially it's given out as essentially ubi but that's not even enough so we hear how like they have to create like give grants to people for projects that don't actually have any material benefit for people it's actually better if they don't you know useful that he makes a distinction here between like useful and like productive, like something productive would be bad because that would actually increase production beyond the capacity of the society to spend and the government would have to essentially print more money. Um, but useful is a different meaning, right? Useful could be something people might be interested in, but it's not necessarily going to have a financial benefit. So that's the economic model. Now, uh, Monroe Alpha's job is essentially crucial in that. He's basically the one on with with actual tables or whatever, trying to match uh, production with demand, and then finding ways to spend that that difference. And it's just the government produces the money to to fund that difference. This, I, you know, it's not ideal to me. I think it's is it's not bad. It's it's like a decent path to to socialism because Heinlein doesn't want to go full like planned economy he still likes the individualism of on the productive side right so it's kind of a it's it's essentially the UBI platform I know that's been supported by some criticized by others on the left for for various reasons obviously the biggest criticism of it is it doesn't seize productive capacity away from or productive ownership away from private hands. So you're still going to have people working for capitalists being exploited. So it's not going to solve this, the root problem of the economy, which is exploitation. If you think the root problem of the economy is simply the difference between productive and demand, production and demand, then yeah, this seems to be a, a reasonable solution to that. Now, all of this extends itself into another problem, which is what's the point of living yeah people have jobs people make money but there's nothing really they need to spend it on right it's like there's no reason to hoard wealth so the problem is like what to spend it on um a lot of people have a lot of time on their hands uh which they can pursue to their curiosities and interests which is great it's wonderful but we have characters who are really wondering what's the point of life now this is where the gun stuff fits in actually the Gun stuff. Now, the quote that comes from this book um, is essentially like the idea that an armed society is a play society. So all the men carry guns, carry pistols. 
They're like laser zappers. Um, our main character, Hamilton Felix, is a little retro. He's got a revolver, just as effective. And, they're, and people are very good at this. They spend a lot of their free time learning to use these weapons and doing the gunslinger stuff. Now, if you don't want to, if you, if you want to kind of opt out of this, so everyone's walking around armed, but you don't necessarily mean fight. You wear a, uh, basically an armband. And that's a sign that you're not down to fight, that you're not into fighting. You're not ready to duel. But if you're not wearing that, you have to always be prepared to duel. So this creates the politeness. People are overly apologetic for minor offenses. They are incredibly polite to each other because they know that any encounter between men could lead to a gunfight, which could lead to someone dying. So that's the idea. Now, Anyone who lives in modern America knows how silly this sounds, but Heinlein is, seems to be kind of a believer in this idea of an armed society of, of individuals kind of balancing each other out. And of course, there are um, pro-Second Amendment people who make this argument that it will make society safer. Criminals will be less likely to rob you if, if they think everyone has a gun. Maybe... I don't know. I don't think enough of our population walks around with guns to really test that. I think most criminals know that the average person on the street is not armed. And they take risks accordingly. It's not going to stop your mass murders. That's what America's dealing with now is, is massacres. I don't think a bunch of pistols are going to stop someone with a, an assault rifle. All, right. All that said, I'm, I'm not anti-Second Amendment. I think it's in the Constitution. I think there's so many guns out there. I don't know the solution to this problem. And it, it seems that there's a constitutional clarity on the issue of of guns. I mean, my solution is, I guess, maybe universal conscription. Put everyone in the militia, and, and then you can bear arms via your participation in the militia. That would be my solution, but obviously that's not in the cards. Um, but this is interesting stuff. It, it kind of makes for some drama is because every encounter between people in the book, between men, and even in some cases between men and women, could lead to a, essentially a, a duel, a gunfight. And so the, it does create a lot of tension in the, in the story. And it's, it's fun. It's, it's, it's kind of like a overly civilized Wild West. Like you have the Wild West scenario where a gunfight could break out any time over anything. But it's it's this post-scarcity utopian society. Now, how are these connected? Well, my point is, like, people are so bored, it seems. They have nothing really to do. So gunfighting becomes just, like, a high-stakes risk that people take. It's the same with Hamilton Felix's own job, which is essentially gambling. He's essentially a gambler. Uh, or he creates machines for gambling. And they're incredibly popular because people have all this extra money that they actually don't need because they always have the government stipend coming every month. They always have the UBI and many of them have jobs that more. And, and if the UBI supports you, the job is just gravy. And yeah, you can buy a nice fancy gun with it or uh, fancy clothes or eat out at, at expensive dinners. And we see characters do all that stuff, but it's not really fulfilling. I think Heinlein's bothered by this is he sees productive capacities going a certain way. And he doesn't want like total socialism, uh, where you kind of have a post-scarcity, luxury, communism kind of thing. He, he still wants creative people to be creative. 
but what's the point after after a while right of of in his mind he's not he can't convince himself that people are going to do these things for their own merit i guess i mean maybe he does i i get the sense that he's he's he thinks there has to be like without a material push there's going to be a limit on on human capacity to advance and that's essentially what our main character hamilton felix uh is bothered by he's constantly worried that there's no point in in life and then this leads us into the genetic stuff now we get a nice little refresher on mendel and genetics in this story i think it's chapter three uh if you want it but we have two groups two populations the vast majority of the people are somehow selected for their genetic traits and, and like I said before, it, it works like under Gattaca rules where um, they take two parents and they basically find the right recessive genes to to create someone who, if not is themselves advanced, will at least carry those those genes that will make the next generation have a better advanced chance of having those characteristics. There's still some randomness to it, but the overall trajectory is to an improvement of of the human race at least that's what our genetic planners want feel like hamilton felix is well on the way to uh this kind of superman status he's called the star line um but he does not want to have have any additional children and he's confronted by members of the genetic planning kind of aspect of the government and encouraging him to to have children so that's um I don't know. There's not much to say. Well, in, I said most of the population is genetically planned in some way. A minority are like just natural born. And there's like special programs and, and, and certain respect that you get for being part of that. Um, so there are the people who are left behind. And one character, like a bartender, you know, he was not he he was actually being encouraged to have a kid the old fashioned way. Uh, because the, his genes were pretty good and he, his kids, he would have been one of the highest, you know, one of the superior members of that class if, if he had a kid, but he chose not to. And most people, either, most people seem to eventually go through this, this step. So those, um, those, the normies become less and less of the population and, and, and everyone else is like H plus humanity plus in some way. This uh, this of course is eugenics. Uh, there's no nice way to put it. It's not something that seemed to bother Heinlein very much uh, throughout his career. He doesn't really judge it uh, any more than he judged it in Methuselah's children. It's just a way to create. I think partially it's a way to create humans with these enhanced capacities because that's the kind of character he wants to write about. Um, he, he likes these kinds of Hamilton Felix kind of characters who are just experts at everything and super great and, and kind of flawless. Um, and I understand why that kind of character is not popular today, but it's just what he was sort of into. And I think sometimes the genetic stuff is a way for him to do that. Maybe he also really did believe that there was like uh, this, this future for humanity uh, in the long term. I guess he did, um, but I, I think it's a mixture of those things. I think it's not that he's a, a, a full-out eugenicist. He just maybe thinks this is the way biological science is, is going to go, right? 
Um, I mean, he does present this society sort of as a utopia, but um, like I get the sense he, he believes in the UBI kind of thing as, as a good alternative. So a lot of what he writes, he does seem to support. I think that's one of the reasons some people are uncomfortable with, with, with Heinlein's approach sometimes. But anyways, that's the genetic stuff. Um, what else do we get? Uh, oh, family. So, um, Monroe Alpha talks to his wife, uh, uh, who he calls an ortho wife, which is, I guess if you translate that, it just means true wife, which implies like there's secondary wives or there's other relationships out there. And we are told later in the story that there is a host of relationships when Felix wants to marry this his genetic pair. He, he meets the person they plan to mate him with, but just they just want to meet up the gametes. They don't necessarily want them to meet, but he's like hot for her and he wants to marry her. But the question is like, what form of marriage will this take? There's multiple forms. It seems the government doesn't have really much say over defining what marriage is. This is another Heinlein thing. We saw it all the way back to For Us Still Living. People partner up however suits them. But one type of relationship is called ortho wife or ortho spouse, which I guess to me I take as more like a traditional Judeo-Christian type of marriage, kind of the monogamous marriage. But there's other types of relationships out there for people to pursue, pursue if they want. Um, now Monroe Alpha, even in that marriage though, he's confronted by his wife. You know, it's like chapter five or six, and she says like, "I can tell you're bored with this marriage, so." You're free. Bang other people. That's cool. So there's not a lot of hangups over monogamy in this society. In fact, what seems to be the real quest of people is to find some kind of meaning and excitement in their lives. That's what Fe Hamilton Felix wants. That's what Monroe Alpha to some degree wants. Um, and that's what the revolutionaries want. The revolutionaries who want to overturn the society somehow want to change things to almost just turn the cart because the world's a little bit too boring for them. And I think that's a little bit of what's going on in this story. Let me try to say more about this. It's You have this kind of weird stability. Yeah, you have genetic progress, but it's all planned. You have economy that's purposely trying to limit productive capacity or productive um, or, or keep productive capacity where it is, but try to limit innovations that are going to disrupt it. I'm thinking of Philip Dick's story, Stability, when I talk about this, um, which wasn't written much past this. It was, it was written six years after this. Um, I. So everyone's sort of questing for, for some meaning beyond this mundane. So for instance, when, when, when Hamilton Felix is brought before the geneticist people and they say, You'd be ashamed to let your gametes go to waste. And he's like, well, there's not really a point to existence. Yeah, I understand. I'm near perfect. The only thing I lack is an eidetic memory. And I know the next generation can have it. My kids can probably have it. But I don't see a purpose for existence. Life is just kind of absurd. Um, Monroe Alpha is kind of facing a midlife crisis of sorts in his marriage, in his job. Um, and then there's a whole movement of people who are like, let's overturn the whole cart altogether. And this gets us to the revolutionary movement, which forms the main plot of, of the novel. After kind of everything is laid out. 
And basically, there's a group of people that Hamilton Felix run into that they basically try to set up an encounter with them. You know, it, it, it turns out to be like a confrontation on the street and a gunfight at a restaurant, I guess. But actually, it was all just to set up this meeting and get him into the movement because he's considered, you know, top of the line. And so essentially, we, we have a return to the fun- functionalist revolution of the roads must roll where you have a population of people who say that we should be in charge, we should have political power because we're the most crucial, indispensable people in the society. And therefore, this this kind of gen- genetic superiority for everyone is bunk. This kind of UBI, it's bunk. We should have a dominant culture, a dominant population, like basically a new aristocracy that will be clearly genetically superior. So, um, So the contrast here is important. The society we're given is actually fairly democratic. Yeah, there's the genetic manipulation, but it's everyone has access to it. Yeah, you have this kind of weird gun culture, but again, everyone has access to it. Everyone can buy a gun. You have, yes, uh, this post this mass prosperity, but again, everyone can participate in it because of the UBI. So um, it's all pretty good as far as like utopias go but what these revolutionaries want is to overturn it because they're kind of just bored and they said why can't we be an aristocracy why can't we be the dominant class and that's and then felix gets drawn into this movement but he's essentially a double agent he's he's going to be spying on on them they think he's loyal to them but he's actually going to be loyal to um the the normie society um and i think that more or less sets up the major themes of the book but obviously there's a lot and i think there's a lot of interesting stuff going on in this the story there's not a whole lot of plot in the first half of the book he gets into the movement he meets this woman he meets a geneticist he spends a lot of time with uh, monroe, uh, monroe alpha He's, you know, he sets up these relationships and the world building here is quite well done. So about half of the book is essentially just world building. The story kind of takes a different direction in the second half. And I think that's what I'll talk about in the next episode when I finish up my thoughts on Beyond This Horizon. Um, but I think this does a good job of setting up the themes. And I, and I think it's... And I, and I hope I've convinced you that this is a book worth reading. It won the Retro Hugo in 2018, not long ago. So obviously this is a book that's not far from people's minds. And it should be. It's good. It's got its issues, like all Heinlein good stories do. They're always, you know, Heinlein's never far from the surface. And, and, he, and for me, he's still a bit of an enigma. Um I think there's a simplistic way to criticize him and a simplistic way to praise him, and I'm not on either camp really. I, you know, I hesitate to be like a, a Heinlein stan, but I also cringe a little bit when people are like, just toss him out with the other fascists of of the 1940 astounding circle. So um, I'm still struggling with that. I don't know. Maybe I'm just dense and a bit stupid, but. Uh, but there's that i really like this story though i think um i was really captivated throughout it and i'm really looking forward to going into the second half where the story does take like a 
bit of a right turn and go in different directions. But there's some really great world building here, especially in this first half. So um, that's my thoughts on the, the first half of Beyond This Horizon. Uh, in the next episode, I'll finish up uh, my thoughts about this book, and um, I'll see you then. So let me know what you think, and thanks for listening. <laughs>